This morning's scripture lesson comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1, which can be found beginning on page 201 of the New Testament in your pew Bible. While you're telling them that, I am going to ask everyone to please take out your pew Bible or the Bible you brought with you and turn to page 201 if you're using the pew Bible, like he just said. And then I'm going to ask you to keep it open for the entire sermon. So keep it close by. All right, Luke, go ahead. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. Thank you, Luke. Well, we are continuing in our series on Colossians. You'll see the sermon title, uh, which is a bit confusing if you've not heard the explanation, but basically it's a, a Twitter-level kind of a sermon title, Colossians, look up, love all, and then the hashtag tells you the theme for the today, and the theme for today is caring for each other. I'm inviting you to keep the scripture in front of you today because I'm going to refer to it in a little bit, and I need you to be able to look at it, and I don't want you to waste time then trying to find it. So just keep it open near, near you. I'd appreciate that. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Great and loving God, it's truly a blessing to gather together as a family of faith. To come together means that this worship and this focus on you is not simply a a moment of just you and us, but rather of us together sharing in the good news, sharing in the witness that you would give us. And so, Lord, I ask you to bless us as we come together now to hear your word, to receive the message of this book from Colossians, and even more, the ability and freedom now to enter into honest relationship with each other as this calls us to do so. In Christ's name, amen. So I have trouble with a phone. Well, technically, I lost my phone, which caused all kinds of trouble with my phone. Um, somewhere at 3 in the morning, uh, somewhere in West Virginia, my phone and I became separated. And uh, I spent a lot of time looking for it, and then I had to get a different phone, and that was a whole drama thing. And so I had to go to the Verizon store in Fayetteville, North Carolina. 
And there I met Joe. Now, Joe, if he were able to be replicated as every Verizon salesman in the world, I would buy my groceries from Verizon. Joe was an amazing young man. I was led over for him to give me some assistance, and he gave me more than assistance. We spent a long time talking, and a couple of things I needed Verizon couldn't get for me, so he clandestine used his computer to look up a competitor's uh, item, and I went there to get it. Anyway, amazing salesman, an amazing young man. We began talking about things that were important to him, and that was all about his family. Uh, he had just taken his young family, he and his wife, and I think three children, to Carowinds. If you're not a Carolinian, that doesn't mean anything to you, but think Cedar Point on steroids, okay? So they go to Carowinds, which is near um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and they go, and they're going to go on some of the rides, and they're really excited because his second child, his son, um, is just barely of the height where he can ride what they thought would be a relatively benign roller coaster. So Joe gets in the front with his wife, I mean, with, I mean with his daughter, and then the seat behind him is his son and his wife. And they're going up this roller coaster, you know how it goes, and gets to the very top, and just as it starts to peak, Joe hears from out of his right ear the voice of his son go, oh, and this, I can't do it because it would hurt you if I did it, but just this massive scream of terror as he goes down the first slope. And his son is terrified. Um, it's a horrific experience for him. They finally get done with the roller coaster ride. They get off the child is absolutely distraught. Joe feels terrible about what happened. Took a long time to put him back together, you know, and then they went on and had some more fun at, at Carowinds, and then they got to the kiddie section, and they said, well, fine, we'll do this. There's a kiddie roller coaster, and he, he, Joe doesn't want his, his son marred for life with roller coasters, so he wants him to have a good experience, so let's get on this kiddie roller coaster. So, obviously, son is not interested in doing this. But dad promises to him it will not be anything like they had just experienced. And finally, trusting in his dad, he's able to get on this kiddie roller coaster. And so same situation, dad, Joe's sitting up in front with his daughter, wife, son, right behind him. And they're going up this kiddie roller coaster, which all of a sudden Joe realizes maybe isn't quite as kiddie friendly as he thought. It wasn't bad, but it was just enough, and the child had just been traumatized enough. He got to the top of the first drop, and he could hear once again the scream of his son, only this time it was not just a scream, it was an exclamation. They hit the apex of this first drop, goes over the top, and the son screams out, You lied to me! Now, you and I both know that story will be retold in that family forever. Joe was telling me about it, and we both laughed, and you could tell he truly loved his son, and he wanted to give his family great experiences. And I thought to myself, aren't so many of our powerful experiences born out of the context of family? I mean, both the stories that we laugh about and the stories that scars for life. The reality is our family system and our closest relationships are the places 
that add to the tenor and the, the, the kind of way in which we feel about our life. As one who's done countless funerals over the years, I can tell you that oftentimes you'll go in and people will want you to talk about someone's accomplishments, what they did for a living. But what I've come to discover, whether or not they have a long list of accomplishments or they were just mom or dad or whatever, it is not what they did, it is how they related to the people around them that sets the tenor of the room. I think that's why whenever we read some of Paul's letters, we get, it seems almost always, these final instructions where he wants to tell us about how we're supposed to relate to the people that we live with the most often, our family, our friends. And we get these passages from Paul, like here in Colossians, in 3, beginning in verse 18, that starts off with benign advice like, wives, be subject to your husbands. And people go, say what? And we oftentimes reject all of this language because, well, it just seems so antiquated and out of date, and quite frankly, it offends some of us that women would automatically be subject to their husbands and that we even talk about slaves. I mean, what is that about? It means nothing for us, and so we write it all off. But before we do that, I want to suggest to you that there's a reason why this passage of Scripture and other passages like it are still critically important to us, and we have to place it in context. First of all, let's, can we agree that Paul was a first-century Jewish Christian man, okay? Not exactly a bastion of liberalism in terms of social ethics. If you want to call him a chauvinist, you can do that, but you also have to understand there wasn't anything else to be back in first century. And so Paul, using the language of Male dominance in a marriage, parent dominance over a child, and master dominance over a slave simply comes out of his own natural understanding that there's a hierarchy in all things. Somebody's in charge and somebody's following, and that's true in every relationship. And so in these three relationships, this is how he lays it out. But you also have to remember that this is the same Paul who said everything was about Jesus Christ. Christ, the same Jesus who continued to break barriers and continued to relate to people with an extreme equality of grace and acceptance and love. That's what got him in all kinds of trouble. It's the same Paul who writes in Galatians, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, because we are all one in Christ. It's the same guy. So the reality is, if you take any time to look at this passage and look at Paul, you understand he's not suggesting dominance or, or submissiveness in the way in which we think about it today. Now, I think the reason we stay away from this language is not because we see it as antiquated and sexist and offensive. Now, I think the reason we stay away from it is because we fear what it's really asking us to do which is in the context of the first century and in the context of the 21st century, engage with each other with Christ at the center of those relationships. That's what he's really asking. He's asking for us to be committed to each other through and because of the relationship we have a prior commitment to in Jesus Christ. In other words, I as a husband am called to relate to my wife 
in the way in which I have come to relate to Jesus Christ and know from him what love is all about. My wife is called to relate to me in the same way. And that doesn't assume that either one is in charge except the one who's in charge of all relationships, which is who? Who? I didn't hear you at all. One, two, three. My goodness, you're wimpy today. Give it up. Come on. You know it's Jesus Christ, but let me explain this to you. I'll tell you why you're being wimpy. It's not because you're not Baptist and don't know how to speak out loud in worship. It's because you and I both forget. You and I both forget the fact that when I'm in a relationship with someone, I'm supposed to be in a relationship with them predicated on my relationship with Jesus Christ. See, at least I know I don't do that. I go off on my own. And I invest myself in the relationship. I define the relationship based on how Rick Dake sees it, how Rick Dake feels about it, and how Rick Dake thinks about it. And that's how I go about it, and that's oftentimes where the relationship gets screwed up because I got hurt. And I nurse my ego in wounds because I don't forgive because this is the second time someone has hurt me. Seven times 70. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That the way we are engaged in relationship with other is too many times for us to find by our own sense of what's right and wrong and by not going to Jesus first. All right, I'm going to let you help me with this. The passage started off, Luke said, what's the first line, Luke? What is the first line there, chapter 18? Wives, be subject to your husbands. How many of you quit listening after that line? (laughs) Nancy, you didn't tune any of that. And if Gary were here, he'd tell you, she's not buying this at all. That's right. Laura wouldn't either, by the way, Nancy. You understand? Laura, she's done with this. Okay. Now, some of you men perked up. Some of you men with that line was read and said, oh, this is going to be good. Well, here's the context out of where that comes from, and this is why you've got to have your Bible open, so I hope you still have it open, because I want you to turn to page 201, but I don't want you to read where it says um, where Luke began. Because you know how things are, if they're not in context, they lose their meaning? Well, here's the context. The context is this. The context is found earlier, beginning at verse 12. And beginning at verse 12, here's where it says. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. How? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called to one body. You see, what's happening here, this is what Paul is really saying. And this is where it gets problematic, at least for me. I have to surrender my marriage over to Jesus Christ. 
which means that I have to begin to relate to my wife like Jesus relates to me. My wife has to begin to relate to me like Jesus relates to her. Which, whatever I've come to know about Jesus is this. It's unconditional love. It's unmerited and never-ending mercy. It is forgiveness beyond forgiveness. It is an understanding that we call to relate to each other as Christ relates to us. Now I want to say this one disclaimer. I'm not talking about dysfunction and abuse. Jesus had no patience for abuse and dysfunction either because why? It has nothing to do with love. But when I begin to understand how I'm called to relate to the significant others in my life, based on how Jesus is calling me to relate, it changes the entire relationship. Does it for you? Let me ask you this. you have a problem with a relationship with anybody in your life right now? Anyone? Can you think about who that person is? Can you think about how you've been thinking about them most recently? And can you see how maybe your thinking about them is slightly different than the way Jesus is thinking about you? You see, Paul knew the Christian faith was not about how you think, it's about how you live. Paul knew the most radical thing Christians could do in the world was not profess the theology or attend a worship service. It would be to love the people they live with and work with the way Jesus treated them. In face of that, no other argument can stand. No one can resist the attractiveness of a relationship where both parties are treating each other Christ-like. That's what he's saying here in Colossians 3. If I were to care for the people I live with and the people I work with as Jesus cares for me, would my life be different? Yes. Would our relationships be different? Without question. And so today, as we get ready to come to a communion table, I'm going to leave you with this thought. Perhaps the persons or people you're thinking about, maybe at your work or at your home or within your family system or here at church, that you just quite frankly are at odds with, perhaps for them, this might be the week where you take them and go back to Colossians chapter 3, back up to verse 12, and begin writing that out and saying, this is how I'm going to think about and treat that person. Now notice it doesn't say, and then if they start shaping up, you can go ahead and move on. No, it says, this is just who you're going to be. This is how you're going to treat them, because it's how Christ treats you in every moment. If we could begin to live in that way, and begin to think about others in that way, then the words that Paul wrote at Colossians would not only transform that community, it would begin to change our families, our church, and this world. And so I give you this simple challenge. In a few minutes, I'm inviting you to come forward to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. It is unconditional love. Everyone's welcome. No one's going to be turned away from this meal. So come on up if you want to accept some of the Jesus love that it contains.
But as you come up, think about the people in your life that you have that stress with, that struggle with. Bring them with you in your heart. And let Christ bind you together and teach you how to love them like he's teaching you how much he loves you. And there's the promise of hope. There's the promise of restoration. And there's the joy that we find in our life. God be the glory.